0: You are listening to the Stories of Healing and Wonderlust podcast, and I am your host, Lou Kelly. Join me each fortnight as I explore the wild and wonderful world of healing, conscious living, yoga, self-development, travel, and the journey of life. We explore the very real human experiences that we go through and the many ways we overcome these challenges. I share with you via solo chats and also in conversation with some extraordinary guests. This podcast is a curation of relatable yet inspirational stories, and it showcases the varied voices in the healing and self-development space today. I hope you enjoy. Welcome back to the podcast, friends. This is number six. Today's inspirational guest is one of my beloved friends and colleagues from the Melbourne yoga world. I've always known him as a dynamic and passionate yoga teacher with a true love of asana and a deep knowledge of anatomy and the body. During this conversation, we discuss his previous life as a working professional dancer overseas. He worked on cruise ships and in other parts of the world, as well as in Australia. Although this was one of the first podcasts I recorded, I've scheduled it to drop when I myself am in Paris on my honeymoon, exploring a part of the world that my guest lived in for quite some time, dancing at the Moulin Rouge. Because why not? I know you will adore him as I do, and we discuss his love of building community, finding your own way in life, and exploring a quiet inner world through meditation when you are in fact an extrovert. I give to you, Christian Crow. Welcome to the podcast, Christian. Nice to have you here.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: How are you going today? Thank you for riding your bike over to my place. <gasps> I
1: actually drove my partner's car it's like wow.
0: I love it. I love it. And you were um, at an Ayurvedic consult before you came here.
1: I was. I was with um, Dylan of Vital Veda and uh, the Rajus, a family of Ayurvedic doctors that he's brought across from India who are fabulous.
0: So um, for those of you that don't know you in Melbourne, um, you are a very well-known and loved yoga teacher in the Melbourne yoga world. Um, But- What else is there about you that is so incredible? Because I know that you've got an amazing history of dance and, um, a journey that took you to yoga. And now you are, um, studying a very, um, kind of intense form of meditation. Tell the listeners a little bit about this journey. How did you um, come to this point? Where did, where did your life begin?
1: So. For all intents and purposes, I was born and raised in Melbourne. I say that because I was actually born in Brisbane but I left when I was like a few months old. Um, No recollection. Um, And I lived in East Doncaster (laughs) (laughs) Uh, with my family. I have four siblings and my dad's one of seven children. Um, And so I have a really big family and they're all up in Brisbane. And so my dad got a great job down here, so we moved down here. And then during the global financial crisis, when I was 15 years old, we all moved back up to be with my dad's family and my dad got a new job. And so Melbourne was home in my younger years, and so I have some childhood friends down here. But then up in um, up in Brisbane, I really spent my formative years, and that's where I developed my dancing. I went to ballet school, uh, kind of half day on, half day off. So I'd like dance, um, for six hours in the morning and then I'd study for, well, no, I'd just get homework for four hours. They would just literally give you homework because you didn't actually get to go to school.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I have a few friends that are dancers as well and they kind of did the half school thing. Um, but the career that they were able to have, um, as a young adult dancing around the world was, um, more than worth it. And I know that you have had some incredible experiences, um, dancing professionally around the world. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Um, so yeah, when I finished ballet school, I got a job on a cruise line. Um Royal Caribbean. and I left. I decided to leave, even though I wanted to study musical theater after ballet school. I was like, I'll just go work. We'll see what happens. And so I spent a year over there and then after decided to move to the UK. um when I was in the UK, I worked in a tap show, which was fabulous. I then went across to Stockholm where I worked in a singing and dancing show, and this was my first taste of, maybe I want to sing. Um, and then came back to Australia, got an agent and ended up going back to the US to be in Cats, the musical, which was fab. And then halfway, I think it was two days into rehearsal of Cats, I got the job at Moulin Rouge, which I had auditioned for like four times. Amazing, um, And that was... A dream come true and i was like oh, i have to go to paris after this so after cats i went to paris and lived there for a year and a half and then decided to move back on to australia so yeah it was quite an eclectic career
0: amazing so it's often seen as like the peak of a dancer's career dancing overseas in paris for one of these amazing shows when you got there what was it what was your experience actually like
1: um so it's a bit of an, a different environment Because everyone's not arriving into a rehearsal period. Everyone's established in the show. So I was rehearsing with me, the choreographer, and one other dancer. um, Because what happens is someone will leave and then one person replaces them. We happen to be lucky enough to do it together, because sometimes you have to do it by yourself. And um, the rehearsal period was very intense. I anticipated that and I had come show fit from Cats, which is very physically intensive show. Um but I loved it. I loved I it I was so excited. I had arrived in Paris. I was living in Montmartre. I literally lived just around the corner from Moulin Rouge on Rue Le Peak um, in a beautiful Parisian apartment. And I was living the dream essentially. Um, I just uh, I guess as my time in Paris progressed um, and as my career progressed, I think I was looking for something a little bit deeper oh. Um, and kind of wanting, uh, I was searching for for fulfilment outside of myself and within my career and I thought, you know, if I get this job, then I'll be happy. If I get this job, then I'll be happy and kept on raising the bar. And then I kind of did everything that I thought would make me happy. And I guess that was really the catalyst for spiritual work, for going inside. I'm like, okay, well, nothing out here is going to make me happy. Maybe I should go in here and see what's going to happen.
0: Absolutely. And um, a physical, like a dancing career is so much about the body. Um, And we spoke before um, we started recording about having um, an end to your career as a dancer. And often there is avenues that you go down, um, that also use the body, for example, um, teaching dance or Pilates or, um, yoga. And what was it that, um, spoke to you in the yoga tradition that you thought, this is where I need to go next?
1: Well, I have this connection to yoga through my auntie. And so my auntie is a beautiful yin yoga teacher, uh, very philosophical, um, super wise. And whenever I went to her class, I was just blown away by how how the practice made me feel, how it touched me in a a way that was not just physical, right? And so, I, I mean, I was tossing up, I was already teaching dance prior and I was kind of tossing up between Pilates and yoga I was like, oh, well, what kind of teacher do I want to be? Pilates was purely a physical kind of maybe, you know, it's going to fix all the injuries that I have from dancing um, but yoga in the end it just was I, I it's, in, it's ineffable I don't actually know why I chose it um, but when I got to Paris there just happened to be a training on literally like two days after I had finished my rehearsal period and it was the only training that coincided with my shows at the Mulan. So I actually did my yoga training all day and then at night would go and perform at the Mulan.
0: (laughs) That is wild. (laughs) I don't know how you had that energy, but knowing you, I can kind of imagine how you got it.
1: (laughs) It was especially because it was Ashtanga. Like Ashtanga is quite a rigorous physical practice and in and of itself would have been enough physically more than enough physically and then shows on top of that what really happened is I just couldn't give myself fully to one or the other it was like a part of myself
0: (laughs) yeah and I guess you're here now and yoga won in the end the tussle Uh, between uh, the uh, dance career and kind of coming home to Australia and I've got air quotes settling down um what was the journey leaving the dance career and the the wanderlust and all of that excitement of having a traveling career and then kind of coming into a settled space that you live in now i know that you and your partner have got beautiful home in elwood that you open up to community um some wednesday nights you can maybe speak a little bit of the at the end of the podcast about this but what was the experience moving from this very kind of almost restless state of traveling to how you are now?
1: So one of the reasons I decided to come home to Australia was because I wanted more meaningful relationships. I wanted community. I wanted I wanted to set roots, right? And so I had I had been working as a professional since I was 18 and as a professional dancer, it's very rare to find a job that will allow you to be in one place for more than maximum 15 months like a year and a bit even if you're in a very successful musical and especially post-covid it's like musicals are such short runs these days i was lucky (laughs) i got to stay in uh you know musicals for a little bit longer back in my time but when i came back from paris i had jumped straight into teaching at a studio in Sydney. I was very lucky. I was given an opportunity to teach eight classes right off the bat, like, what a dream. Um, and at the same time, I was auditioning. I had the intention of continuing to perform and seeing what came up. And as I was continuing to teach and I was continuing to practice, because I'd only done my training, and we both know once you do one yoga training, you realize just how much knowledge and wisdom there is. Behind these these ancient teachings, and so I continued to to learn to grow. Um, I actually went to Costa Rica and did a Jivan Mukti Yoga training.
0: Wow, was, was that with Sharon Gannon and David? Yeah, wow.
1: yeah. <laughs> How so was that? I went over to to Blue Spirit, um, and at this time I was still auditioning. I had actually auditioned for a musical called Avita. Um, which Tina Arena started in Australia, and I ended up getting it whilst I was over in Costa Rica doing this spiritual work. So, it was it was an incredible kind of moment of okay, I'm deepening myself in my yoga practice, but also I feel like I can't say no to this career, and so it was very much like yoga was coming forward, and then it was like opportunity, and I always wanted to perform in Australia, and so. We opened at the Opera House with Tina Arena. My dad's a huge Tina fan. My mom's a huge Tina fan, so they were in the front row. It was just like, it was such a beautiful experience. I was so nervous. (laughs) Like, agent, parents, Tina, all my friends, Opera House. It was a lot of pressure, but it was a beautiful experience and... I wrapped up the tour in Melbourne, and that's actually what brought me to Melbourne. So we we toured to Melbourne. We performed at the Art Centre for six months. It came to the end of the contract, and I just met the most amazing people in Melbourne. Melbourne is so fab. Um, I made really beautiful connections, and everything that I had been looking for in Sydney, and kind of failed to find. And that's you know that's my responsibility as well. I didn't really put myself in many situations where I was around new people. But when I came to Melbourne, I just felt really, I guess, home. I had lived here for 15 years prior. Um, I resonated with the people. Um, I, I taught at a studio that had a home in City and a home in Melbourne. So I just slotted into a schedule as well. So I was teaching early mornings and then working late at the Vita. So this kind of yoga performing <laughs> thing happened for a bit. And then I wrapped up the tour and my agent was like, can't wait to see you when you're back. Can't wait for you to go on to the audition kind of, you know, run again. And I was just like, I think I'm done. Like, I think I'm done. I, I love performing, but it was the connections that I had made in Melbourne and that sense of community that really shifted things for me. It was literally like three people. I just made three really close friends and I was like, I don't want to leave them. I actually Mm -hmm. don't want to leave these people. And after the career that I'd had, I just felt like there wasn't much more for me to gain by continuing to work as a performer. I, I mean... And that's just my personal experience. There's so much that you can do in the performing world, but I was ready I was ready to set roots. I was ready to build community. And I was ready to be with friends.
0: And you know, when you know, you know. And when you're done, you're done. And it sounds like you went out on a real high. I was just imagining you at the opera house, you know, performing with Tina and your parents and all the things. It's like, where do you go to from there? <laughs> and and your heart was calling you home, really. And Uh, here you are. And I know community is such a big thing for you. Can you tell me a little bit more about why that is and what it means to you?
1: I think as a performer and with all the travel, it's something that um, is kind of missing. Like you have these huge families, these musical theatre families, these performing families, and then everyone scatters because the nature of the industry is once you finish the job, you have to search for the next one. And you're all not going to be able to get the same job because, you know, you're all unique individuals that have certain skills. And so you'd you'd make this family. And this is the taste of community that I got. It was so beautiful connecting with these other performers, but then it just all kind of disappeared after after a few months. And so I was really craving that continuity. I was really craving that connection and... I knew that I could get it on a deeper level if I was just to stay somewhere. Just to stay somewhere. Um, And yoga really presented that to me. Yoga was like, here's a community of students, here's a community of spiritual seekers, here's a community of like-minded people who are interested in opening themselves up to possibility. I joined this community of handstanders actually in Melbourne, uh, which was... Random. (laughs) uh, So random. I, it was more the community itself and the people that were there. And um, I just, I just fell in love with the Melbourne peeps and I, and the transition to yoga for me was like dancing, yoga, dancing, yoga, dancing, yoga. And then over time, the profundity of the yoga practice was just speaking to me so much more than a career in dance was and I think it's due to as a performer I was working for other people I wasn't freelance in that I was choreographing choreographing and doing things myself it was I was doing the same show you know eight times a week there's an there's a element of and I was saying this to you earlier, an element of performing someone else's work for an extended period of time in exchange for money that ends up making your career feel like work. (laughs) And I know uh, in saying that so many people uh, would love that opportunity, but when you're actually in it, there's an element of you creatively which is has to be suppressed because you're fitting into an ensemble. You you have to blend in. You have to... Um...
0: I understand what you mean. And I guess that's where the yoga practice allows you to use everything that you've learned as a dancer and in your body and kind of infuse it into the yoga practice because you are incredible um, with your asana and your anatomy and you are able to share that with so many students here in Melbourne and I know that you teach on several different teacher trainings. Um, can you speak to a little bit about how that physicality in your dancing career has allowed you to transition into your yoga career?
1: Yeah, um... As a dancer and performing in Paris for 12 nights a week, there's a certain level of efficiency that you have to have in the body if you want to be able to continue. And so you just work out ways to use your body that are more effective. And that application to the asana was so healing within my body because as a performer, I'm being efficient so I can create an aesthetic. As a yogi, my efficiency is creating an environment for healing and that relationship between the body, uh, the mind, the spirit that, that is infused in the yoga practice, it allows for such a deeper and more intimate relationship. And so when I transitioned into yoga, I actually continued to learn. I came in with knowledge. But the yoga practice itself, like it was a self-referral phenomenon. I came to the practice, I did the asana, and the asana were telling me what was most effective, what was most efficient. And this is what I love to see in students, where students make a connection within themselves. And truly the most uh, gratifying part of being a teacher is seeing someone else find it within themselves. You are your own greatest teacher. And so that, that knowledge, that wisdom that's come, yes, it was informed from my dance career and that relationship to my body that I had, but yoga actually really deepened that relationship. And it was such a beautiful experience of really listening, not so much to create something, but really listening to whatever was needed how can I be of service in this moment, how can I, how can I meet the need, and sometimes the need of your practice is to be restful, and sometimes the need of your practice is to let go, and sometimes the need of your practice is to not do asana, is to sit still and shut your eyes, or to inspire your intellect to uh, help you on your journey of philosophical learning. There's so many aspects to the practice, and the richness of the practice, which drew me in, you know, um. when you do your training, you get all these little tastes of things and you're like, oh, oh I want to I want a little bit of that. I want a little bit of that. So
0: Absolutely. Why do you think yoga is so healing? I also had the same experience. Um, just infusing in the practice, you know, years ago and just feeling like this is what I've been missing my whole life. This is kind of putting me back together, mind, body and soul. I mean, right. What do you think in your words is what makes the yoga practice so freaking
1: healing what makes the yoga practice so healing it's what kind of what i was talking about that relationship to the self and what is most effective in my experience is when you practice consistently you're showing up in every single state of being possible and so you're showing up tired you're showing up joyful you're showing up sad You're showing up when you don't wanna show up. You're showing up when you're enthusiastic. And every time you practice in a different state of being, you learn how to be with yourself. You learn how to meet yourself in that state. And that is so applicable and easily integrated into life because every single day is going to be different. And if we can meet ourselves with a tenderness, sometimes with a discipline, sometimes with a softness, It's that the practice isn't always the same. That is what is healing. And that was really what changed for me transitioning from dance into yoga. Dance was the same. Replicate what you're doing and make it work, right? And yoga was like, actually, no. You're arriving in a different state and what is required is completely different here. Can you listen to that? Can you let go of what you think you need and drop into your somatic experience in the body? Can you embody that quality and let it move through you? This is the movement of energy that heals us. I mean, it, it moves around our body. And, you know, we have to be with the fullness of it. And I was talking about this in my classes because it's a bit of a fierce full moon vibe at the moment. Um, and I a Pisces. <laughs> and it's a Pisces and I'm a Virgo. full moon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fabulous. <laughs> and so this energy of the full moon, it's, it's allowing us to really to feel into the fullness of everything that we are, to shine the light, that luminescence on those qualities that perhaps get neglected or ignored. And this is kind of what I did in dancing. I had to create a role. I had to create a character, but in, in yoga, it was just embodiment. Just let it be. You don't actually have to do anything. And that choice, that freedom for me was the healing. Um, in so many ways.
0: I, I love that so much. Um, another aspect of the yoga practice, like the sister science, the Ayurveda that we were speaking, um, about before we started the session is the beauty that the practice of yoga can shift over our lifetime. It's not a static practice. It's going to be different for a teenage body and mind than it will be for, um, a pregnant mother than it will be for, you know, someone in the crone, um, phase of their life. And we're able to take the practice with us through the ho- our whole spectrum of our lifetime. And it evolves as we do. And I guess that's uh, one of the many, um, for me, the, the healing aspect of the practice and the way it stays relevant. Like we don't need to give it up at any age. It, it comes with us.
1: Yeah, exactly. And as it is, it's so applicable to all. It's so accessible to all. It's so. Broad, there's just such a, a, a breadth and a depth to the practice that allows, you know, if you can close your eyes, you can practice yoga. Yoga literally translates as the union or the yoking of the individuality to that universal. And if you can close your eyes, you can practice yoga. So, yeah, this... great,
0: great segue to meditation because <laughs> I know that um, your practice of yoga. Evolved into a very deep meditation practice, which is um, very, very similar to yoga. It's a form of yoga, I guess. But it, what the the type of yoga, the uh, the type of meditation that you are learning to teach is um, a pretty deep one. So please share with the listeners um, about your journey into meditation.
1: Yeah, so um, I actually went. This is so funny, but I actually went to meditation to a training that I was recommended four separate times because I just wanted to become a better yoga teacher. And I was like, maybe I should try meditation. You know, I've been a yoga teacher for a while. I should commit to a daily meditation practice. And I sat down in that initial um, info talk and I was just blown away. Blown away by, I guess... My limited understanding of yoga, I think I I had, I had really, um, I really had a strong idea around what the yoga practice was. And this is what happens as, as your practice evolves, right? You just, there's this expansion that takes place. And so, for me, the journey into meditation, I thought was about becoming a better teacher, but actually it was about becoming a better person, uh, not becoming a better person, actually just remembering my essential nature, you know, we, every single person has the capability to connect to what they are at the source of thought right beyond the mind and this is a really good question to contemplate what actually are you beyond your thoughts and this is something that i had never contemplated before i mean you can't contemplate (laughs) um so This experience of meditation that we do within the Vedic meditation tradition that I am a part of is called transcendence. And transcendence is the experience of settling into your simplest form of awareness, whatever that is on any given day. And so some days that might involve lots of thoughts and stress release, and some days that might involve crying and letting go of deep grief. And other days that might involve the bliss of transcendence, where you are... Uh, you know, in this state that is only upon reflection can you know that you were in that state because the minute a thought comes up and goes, I'm in transcendence, guess what? You're not in transcendence anymore. (laughs) And so this idea that I could sit still and be agitated and be thinking and be infuriated and be sad and be joyful and this was all meditation was something that was so new to me. I was like, oh my God maybe I should do this thing and start processing this deep stress that has been building up. And that was my experience. I didn't know at the time, but I was I was quite stressed from a career in performing arts, from all the doing that is demanded of us, all the input, which we were talking about earlier. There's so much input. And meditation is just the experience of allowing the processing of all the things that we put into our awareness so that we can become this kind of vehicle for consciousness we can we're not separate from what we are connecting to and through the practice of meditation we yoke ourselves literally to that and it moves through us and we start to align with nature and life becomes so frictionless it's like oh actually the underlying message of meditation is everything is okay and that is such a beautiful message to live
0: such a beautiful message do you think that this form of meditation is for everyone or is it just for certain people?
1: Um, Look, I think people have different inclinations when it comes to meditation practice. This practice for me actually it was very serendipitous that I went into it, but I actually struggled with it quite a lot for three months. I... I consider myself an extrovert, a doer, you know, a bit of an extremist in days gone by. And this practice asks me to do nothing. It's effortless. It asks me to sit and very subtly pulse a mantra, which was going to draw me into a state of transcendence. And there's no way that you can control your way into that. And so without even realizing, the practice that was already asking me to surrender control from day one, and that resistance was strong. The resistance was very strong. And what actually helped me in sticking to the practice was how inspiring my teachers were, how inspiring my community was. Um, and so I would show up again and again in community to be inspired, and I would continue and go back into my practice. And this is very much feeds into why I I build the community that I build, why I think community is so important because it it's accountability. We need to support one another. There are going to be days where you're disenchanted with the practice. like It's such a wild journey of processing and what you're processing it, is things that you've held on to or ignored for so long. And it's going to be painful, but it's going to be so joyful as well. And to have that support, that accountability... That inspiration. It's so amazing. And then being able to share that with other people because community isn't just about taking, it's also about giving. And so for me, the teaching is like everything that I'm sharing is moving through me first. It's like the water moving through the pipe to come out of the tap. You get to experience it threefold. You know, you conceive it in the mind, it comes out of the mouth, and then you see it land on the people. And it's just like, What a beautiful experience. Community is such a powerful way to make a practice that could otherwise be so challenging by yourself a little more inviting.
0: I love um, what you're creating um, with your partner um, in Elwood. Tell uh, the listeners a little bit about Agni Kotra because if you haven't um, participated before in this type of fire ceremony, Um, it might look a little strange, but um, yeah, please, please share a little bit more about this.
1: So Melbourne Yoga was actually born out of a trip to India. Um, We went to India for one of the meditation modules, which was a prerequisite for the training that I'm doing at the end of 2024. And it was all about devotion. It was all about um, ceremony. It was all about the experience of meditation. And this is something that, you know, when I was studying yoga, the intellectual experience was so satiating, so amazing. And so I prioritized that. And then when I went to India, it's like they, they don't satiate the intellect at all. They drop you directly in the experience. And what I loved about my time there was how these ceremonies, these rituals, not only connected you to that aspect of self, but also to everyone that was there. It was a community experience. It was the experience I was having in meditation by myself in community. And I was like, how can I how can I bring just a taste, just a piece of this back home? And so when we arrived back home, I started running kirtans. That's how it actually begun. Really- um, and previous to that, my kirtan or chanting practice was purely my own so it was a bit of like a baptism of fire Um, I just started sharing my personal practice of chanting and it, it landed really well and and then my partner whilst we're over in India fell in love with these fire ceremonies or yajyas that are run by Vedic priests and you know it takes five years to train in those and you have to live in India and so what he's providing is We call a fire ceremony, but it's more of a homa, which is a celebration of an aspect of your very own self, which we call the devas, you know, or you could see them as Hindu gods within the pantheon. This celebration or this invocation of this quality is really an opportunity just to connect with that aspect. Like, Lakshmi is this aspect of abundance and fertility and creativity within yourself. And just simply putting your awareness on on that, on that abundance that is already there, um, on that creativity that is already there, it highlights it, it underscores it, and it enlivers it, it within you, but also within everyone. And, yeah. and so these experiences that we've been having of invoking different energies, different qualities, different laws of nature has been so powerful in our personal practice. And it's been such a blessing to share it with our community um, in Elwood and... Yeah, it's just continuing to grow and, and we just love it.
0: The archetypes are so powerful to meditate on, aren't they? Because they are aspects that live within all of us. I know that um, for myself, um, kind of feeling into the different energies of the Divine Feminine, the different faces of it, makes me realise how multifaceted I am as a woman. Um, and how I can draw on the archetypes when I need different strengths and qualities um again another part of the yoga practice that you can take for your whole life
1: yeah it's it's such an incredible an incredible opportunity to connect with what's already there and that's the thing like is it's again it's a remembering it's a remembering of those aspects of your very own self and then a sharing of that with others and yeah you're right the archetypes are so powerful and actually the feminine archetype has been a really powerful one for me being quite uh, uh, in the masculine within my dance career, um, being, um, I guess, disciplined, um, showing up at a certain time, being really consistent, um, and then kind of softening into this... Uh, spot. I feel like the feminine has a real spontaneity. You can leave like a spaciousness for spontaneity. This creativity, this... Uh, this aspect of really caring, really holding, really compassionate. It's just so, so beautiful in balancing those energies that I already had. And so every person will have what we call an Ishta Devata, a, a, a quality or a law of nature or a deity that complements the way that they've been living, that is perhaps the polar opposite. And they're going to find that intrinsically charming. It's like, oh my God, those aspects, they feel so good as they wash over me with this mantra. Because the mantra is simply the vibration of that energy. And when we chant that mantra and it enlives that quality within ourselves, we're bringing balance. And when you feel that balance with an embodied practice, you're like, it's an experience. It's so hard to explain. I'm trying to explain it, but it's just, it's an experience that you need to have.
0: Mm, It's so true. And if people want to have it, they can come to your class. <laughs> and I want to ask you, Christian, where, what's the vision? Like you're bringing in the meditation. You're already an incredible yoga teacher. Um, What does the future hold for you, do you believe?
1: This is very exciting because it's actually been something that I've been chatting to my partner about quite a bit lately. But we have a vision to essentially create a retreat center where people can come; they can immerse themselves in the practice of yoga in all its facets. So, um, the vision for me personally is to study Ayurveda, which is the science of life, the sister science of yoga. Um, my partner, uh, my partner is currently studying Abhyanga which is a form of Ayurvedic massage Um, he runs the fire ceremonies he's also studying to become a meditation teacher and I guess the priority for us moving forward is just to deliver people the experience of yoga like what actually does it feel like when this individuality connects to something bigger than itself right what does that actually feel like what does that actually bring and I, I think for a long time, I've, I've been searching for that as a student. And I'm so, so lucky that I found it. So, so lucky. But it, it can be hard to find in the modern yoga world because there's so many options. And okay. so I found myself towards the start of my journey. There's this analogy of, uh, you know, digging a well, right? And at the 10 meter mark is when you get the water. But I was going around digging these nine meter wells everywhere and I just wasn't going deep enough. And right. so this experience of Vedic meditation, especially for me, was really just going beyond going feeling the, the direct experience of that cooling water and how it washed over me and I'm still I'm still down in that well, having a good time. I <laughs> love it. <laughs> But yeah, I think the vision for us is the experience and how can we deliver that experience to people? And it's tricky. It's tricky. Mm.
0: It is. And like you say, the modern yoga world in the West is like, you know, choose your own path, choose your own adventure. There's just the commercialization of spirituality, basically. And I guess it takes our own discernment to realize what path is right for us. And we do need to try a few different paths sometimes to know what feels good, what fits, and what doesn't. And um, I think that's a beautiful vision to bring together all these healing modalities, um, yoga, the Ayurveda, meditation, all of it, um, so people can have an experience that is very kind of rich and multifaceted.
1: Yeah, and that's that's exactly right. What you just said is like, what we're wanting to deliver—it's like a, t- a like here's a little bit of this, here's a little bit of asana, here's a little bit of meditation, you know—and it's what what feels what feels right for the individual. That's most important because maybe it's not even the offerings that we're providing, right? Maybe it's something else, and that's the beauty of yoga. And you know, when you know, you know. We said this right at the start. When you know, you know. Um, Absolutely. And I think the relevance is in. Perhaps letting go of the need to collect more information and dropping into the direct experience, which is going to deliver you the wisdom, right? I spent so long collecting information, but I wasn't actually applying that information. And so the real focus of my practice leading up to the end of 2024, you know, I have over the last year, I've done so many trainings in meditation. I've... I've collected so much wisdom, and it's really so much knowledge, and it's really to support the direct experience. But now, now it's the time to have the experience. It's time to let go of collecting knowledge. The knowledge is there, right? The knowledge is sequenced in consciousness, in fact. So even if you don't have the knowledge, you can still get the wisdom. It's just um, a little harder <laughs> for me personally. I love to be inspired and that and that has been a big uh, motivating factor for me in the practice.
0: And it's your, you know, it's your fierce intellect that makes you so hungry for the knowledge as well. And everyone is different.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Like my, my partner just dropped straight into the experience and was totally loving it. And and for me, a little bit more support was needed, a little bit of community and, yeah, everyone's different. Everyone will find whatever they need at the right time.
0: Thank you so much for coming on today, Christian. I've loved having your, your voice and um, I love uh, seeing you at the studio. We're, we're colleagues at a couple of different studios. So um, yeah, thank you so much for being a part of this.
1: Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure and I love what you're sharing. It's so beautiful. So thank you for doing the work and spreading the love
0: always. <laughs> Thanks, Christian. Excellent. Thank you so much for listening today, everyone. If you loved this podcast, please share it with someone who you believe might need this message today or share it on your social media and don't forget to tag me. I really love your feedback. You can reach me at hello at lewkelly.com. That's com. Until next time, stay happy, stay free. You are perfect as you are.